You, you are, now are now tuned into the Fusebox Radio Broadcast with DJ Fusion and John Judah. Syndicated worldwide to bring real, real black radio back, back. to the masses. All right, everybody, one, two, one, two, what's going on? You're now in tune to another weekly session of the syndicated worldwide Fusebox radio broadcast with DJ Fusion and John Judah. Since 1998, whether it's on your FM dial, internet radio station, podcast, or website, we're up in the mix to bring you a slice of what we call 21st century black radio to the masses, which is a mixture of diverse music from the black diaspora, hip-hop, soul, funk, jazz, reggae, so forth and so on as well as news, commentary, and interviews for your next three-hour block. On the mix and commentary end, you got myself, DJ Fusion. On the side, you got my bro, John Judah. What's going on there, Judah? Yes, indeed, the whole we are wide world. Thanks for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Fused by Of course, it's Mighty Joe Young, Rocco Rosanna Dana. And of course, the funk anti-matter. Of course... Coming for the coming, coming for our listeners, coming for all those. Tell those, tell a friend, tell a foe, tell a oh. Yes, indeed, we got the other show. Everybody, yes, indeed, what we got to deal with today, Tuesday. Uh, we got a lot going on with this week's show, and um, I'll get into um, that special part in a minute. And before we get into that, those announcements and our quick bit of news and commentary, we got to do the quick Fusebox Radio um, promo spiel and all of that good stuff. If you want to check out the Fusebox Radio broadcast and the latest things that we're up to, you can definitely go to our official website at FuseboxRadioOnline.com. That's F-U-S-E-B-O-X-R-A-D-I-O-O-N-L-I-N-E.com. You can also go to our official blog site, blackradioisback.com, where if you go to the top of our page, you can go and click on Fusebox Radio Affiliates and check out all the wonderful broadcast partners that we have, whether it's through their various airwaves or websites. And besides checking out the Fusebox Radio broadcast, you can check out all the great content they have as well. Definitely prop to all of those great folks for putting the Fusebox Radio broadcast on board. And for all of our folks who like hitting us up via the social networks, Pretty much all of our stuff into a slash Fusebox Radio. So Twitter.com slash Fusebox Radio, Facebook.com slash Fusebox Radio, and so forth and so on. Those who like the Facebook like pages can go to Facebook.com slash Fusebox Radio Show in one word. And as always, props to our writing affiliates where the Fusebox Radio Vibe represents on the wonderful music staffs of the Planet Ill website, PlanetIll.com, and Ohelnall blog website, Ohelnallblog.com. Um, where folks are part of the respective, excuse me, Indecent Exposure article series and the New Music Tuesday um, article series. First quarter's been a little dry on both ends, but all of those joints will be starting back up rather regularly very, very soon. And yeah, on the promo feeling, that is about it. We got a lot going on, as I said beforehand, for this week's show. Um, first and foremost, big props to the staff over at the cable channel here in the state, HBO, Home Box Office. We have an interview this week with um, the director and a very special um, guest for the upcoming um, documentary, which will be premiering on February 14th, 2012, um, called The Loving Story as part of their Black History Month series. 
and really really quick summation since we'll be getting more in depth during the interview um for those who aren't familiar with the case of the loving they were a virginia couple whose case went all the way to the supreme court back in the 1960s and it was one of the first major blows against um, what they called the miscegenation laws which was um essentially interracial uh, marriage and stuff and the story that um the lovings have is very very fascinating so we'll be getting into that during this week's show <coughs> excuse me along with our regular segments from our folks over at free press the um non <coughs> excuse me the non-political and um non-profit media democracy organization our friends over at the Black University Radio Network's Direct Effects segment with Lamar Blackman and the Black Agenda Report segment with Glenn Ford, along with our regular mix of, as we said, old and new school music from the Black Day After So, yeah, it's going to be jumping during this week's show. So, yeah, there's a few commentary joints we're going to do here and there, but then we're just going to slide right into everything because um, it's, like I said, it's going to be action packed and um, all of that good stuff. So, Let's roll and get into it. For our folks here in the United States and all of that, it is Black History Month. I think it happens later on in the year via the um, UK and the United Kingdom. And as always, there's always that one story about some jackass who's like, well, there's Black History Month. Why can't we have a White History Month? And this year, it comes from an Arizona lawmaker. Which is ironic because Arizona was one of the main states that was fighting for the longest time to not have the Martin Luther King holiday go down. That's right. And other various stuff. I'm very basic about the situation. I touched base on it briefly on last week's show and I'll touch base on it again. The day that everybody is acknowledged as an equal human being and that all of our histories are important, I personally would be glad to be like, okay, Black History Month got to be around. But guess what? It's not that way. It's not that way any way, shape, or form. And quite frankly, if you want to have, quote-unquote, white history month, I think that's pretty much every other month of the year. So, whatever. Deal with the 28 or 29 days during the leap year of actually having to learn about a culture besides yours. And not being able to down it. And most of the shows that come on TV are white people that... Yeah, basically... So, you know, all those arguments, boo-hoo, cry tears to somebody else, okay? When all the people of color actually get some props after a post-colonialist vibe, then yeah, we'll be all good. But until then, you know, you gotta learn about something else besides your limited worldview, whatever. Um, I'm one of those people who, like, I don't necessarily like the fact that a Black History Month or anybody History Month had to exist. But it does. So, you know, we all got to learn something. And that's just the way it is. So, there you go. Next up on the quickie, quickie news scene. Um, actually, this is something that both John Judah and I have missed talking about during the past week or two. Uh, we both saw the um, George Lucas-backed um, film about the Tuskegee Airmen, Red Tails. And um, I know we've gotten requests and stuff to weigh in on it, but, you know, 
with the passing of um, so recently the John Cornelius and other stuff happening over on our end. We just let it slip by. Um, let's see here. Actually, John, do you want to give your opinion on it first? Uh, yeah, I, um, I definitely think it's a, a, a good movie, and I think that it's worth seeing for everybody to, to go see. Uh, I commend George Lucas for, 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 for doing the movie, putting some of his own money together, you know, and, and it's been money getting for the movie, and, um, and I think it took, it took 20 years to make it, because Hollywood didn't want to greenlight a movie that had a black lead and really, you know, black leads in it. I thought it was thought it was good that he did that. I thought it was a feel good movie also. I thought it was a black man movie. I thought it was a move for everybody, but it was one of the moves for everybody that was a black man movie because you know it showed you know it it to me when it's on 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 on, on, on a deep level it showed basically you know that you know these individuals were basically doing God's work. Not necessarily in the Nazi thing or the war thing, mm-hmm. but doing God's work in the sense of displaying to the world that that you know that that these individuals were put in in, in the right situation are under nobody and, and, and skill, intelligence, and spirituality, biology, phenotypes, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and are under no one. You know what I'm saying? So I think that was the thing and of course the aspect of, you know, the Nazis being defeated and of course, you know, Tuskegee basically showing themselves as basically the the shining stars of the airmen of the war, you know what I'm saying, really, you know, and I think that it, 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 it really shows, you know, you know, God working through human beings and that, you know, individuals, you know, through their own efforts and um, their own uh, uh, drive and determination, you know, to be on that level and to have, you know, to have that type of, um, you know, uh, courage and to, to make history and to, you know, you know, be what, you know, they were supposed to be and, and roll my thoughts to that. All right. No doubt. No doubt. Um, I know this, like other movies, had um, different opinions and different views, especially within um, different parts of the black American community here. Um, as a movie, I don't think Red Tails is a bad movie. It is essentially a World War II airplane-oriented war movie with black folks in it and some racial issues in it. It's the mainstream version of the HBO um, very highly acclaimed um, Tuskegee Airmen miniseries that came out around the 90s. Um, This being said, again, um, I don't think it's a bad movie. It moves along. I think it does everything in essentially a Cliff Notes version of Tuskegee Airmen, which doesn't surprise me. I don't think anybody came off embarrassing within it i think actually the um airmen on some levels were more humanized because while there's times that people want they definitely did some huge accomplishments these were human beings these were young human beings we're talking about you know the military and whatnot we're talking about a time when there was a draft in the military so there wasn't going to be a whole lot of perfection in these guys but they still did what they had to do they did not just their patriotic duty but they also did i think their duty as men showing that 
you know, we're not going to adhere to your stereotype no matter how much you want us to go there and do so. Now, I know some people were a bit mad because either A, the Tuskegee Airmen who were portrayed in the movie weren't, you know, the perfection of, I guess, human behavior on certain levels. And I know some people were mad because they didn't necessarily see a lot of, or actually pretty much any, let's be honest, um, black women interaction in the movie. I'll put that like this. Um, it was a story about these guys at a particular war situation. At least throughout the majority of the movie. They weren't showing like the beginning training and all that stuff when they were actually in the, in the States. They are showing them overseas in Italy. And, um, you know, this was still a time where not just the races were segregated, but the sexes were segregated on a very high level within military units. So historically, it didn't necessarily surprise me. Would it have been nice to see like one or two couples in there? Sure. But in the framing of the movie, it you know, I wasn't really shook by it. Also, I know some people were a bit upset over them showing the um, one of the main um, soldiers in there getting involved with an um, Italian woman. And, you know, let's keep it 100. Stuff like that happens. It happens. You know what I'm saying? And just because you can't have a sanitized version of history, there's no such thing. And I'm not saying that that's bad. But, you know, when we get into these type of things, you know, sometimes it's going to get a little shaky like that. When you have a whole bunch of folks in another country for a minute, yeah, they're going to get with other people. That's just how it works, you know, so... I don't know. Personally, I didn't take offense to it, especially because it could have became a very, very bad situation because, in my opinion, this wasn't necessarily handled. It wasn't handled from top to bottom by black folks. So something could have slipped in through the Hollywood system. But I think um, overall, um, George Lucas and um, the writing staff with Aaron Magruder, for those who are not familiar with Aaron Magruder, he did the Boondocks TV series and um, the comic strips. And um, the majority of the actors, I think, were at least okay to up high, if anything. And the action scenes were great. Yeah. The, the, that, that part of the movie really, really shined. I think, if anything, if you want to introduce young kids who may have no idea about what the Tuskegee Airmen were about or what they did, that might this might almost be the movie to do it with. Because you get the action scenes, but you get a little bit of the deeper scenes, too, including some of the racial situations people ran into. If you want to get really in-depth, on a video level with what's going on, show them the HBO Tuskegee Airmen joint with Lawrence Fishburne and um, all of that staff. And then, of course, hit the people with some books and some reading material. Because that's where people are going to really get a whole bunch of history at. You're not going to get a in-depth history lesson from any movie and even some really good documentaries. But that's my opinion. That's one thing that I did forget about was the, um, the, um, the, the dogfight scenes with the planes. Yes. So the first jet, you know, they, you know, the red tails were going against jet. 
And you know, it, it was it was it was a good it was beautiful. It was beautiful. You know what I'm saying? It was a beautiful it was a that was a beautiful scene right there. And you know, and, and how they came through adversity, you know. Like it was a walk in the park. No doubt, no doubt. So you know, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think people, if they get a chance to see it in one way, shape, or form, should to at least form an opinion of their own with that and go from there. It ain't an embarrassing movie, in my opinion. So I know y'all do not want to talk about this for a while. So just had to hop in on that one. And um, speaking of um, some black folks making history and actually in a good way after some nonsense went down, in the state of Nevada, and unfortunately we know about how all this type of stuff happened, um, there was a police brutality incident where a man who was actually going in diabetic shock because he was able to answer some police responses when he got um, beat by the police and it was videotaped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, this man has a um, amount of money in the um, six figures now going to him. As a settlement through the um, city, and they had a video and stuff on the web, and it's and it's crazy because you know you you know the cops is cursing, they pulled they swarmed the driver, pulled him out of his car, started kicking him, all of this type of crazy stuff, which unfortunately I think happens in any neighborhood near you if you don't necessarily have the, the right melanin or economic level, because you know police brutality happens to everybody, but it does happen in a high particularity to people of color here in the States. Well done. So, you know, they got a settlement from that area plus um, settlement for um, the man's wife and extra money from the state of Nevada in that regard. Of course, it does not make up for everything that happened, but it is good that, you know, there are people who are paying attention to all this type of stuff and don't want it to happen and go down no more. And let me see here. I know there was one more story I wanted to get into. Go ahead, Arjuna. I know briefly you had talked about the cops. I just wanted to say basically for particularly the people in New York is that um, we shouldn't be surprised that um, uh, Ray Kelly's son, the police, police commissioner's son, you know, got, like, I guess charges dropped against him as far as um, about... Uh, rape, I, I think. Hate rape? Or accusations, rape accusations. Now... now the bottom line is, is that in New York that wasn't going to happen. With Bloomberg and Kelly, they, they weren't going to let him get out. They could, the, the, the whole black folk in jail, up, you know, like it ain't nothing about his business. But that wasn't going to happen. And and just to say that, you know, you know, things things look good. You know, things look good. New York is changing, but there's a lot of corruption from top to bottom. It ain't got nothing to do with organized crime. Ain't got nothing to do with all the nonsense. It's just within that structure, within the city and the corporate structure in New York. Right. No doubt, no doubt. And actually, I need to get some more information from um, folks up top around NY because there was supposed to be another really big police brutality incident around there as well. But I got to get all that information together before we get in depth on that with the show at a later date. Um, interesting news story for Black History Month. I knew that was the last thing I wanted to try to pull up before a few brief shout outs and getting into the radio show. Um, there is a lost Malcolm X speech that was found this past week. Really? Um, over through the Brown University Archive. 
and this um lost makeup x speech was found when a senior had to do a um assignment for the narrative writing course like they were supposed to write a fictional story based on something true that was found in the university archives so they just happened to be digging around and they pulled up were able to dig and pull up this information and it's definitely pretty interesting um the npr.com website has a whole lot of uh, detailed information about that and in short summation it was a video that he made around 1961 when a student actually um wrote to malcolm x to visit brown university and this was around that time frame when he was getting ready to veer off of the nation of islam Okay. And um, get more into um, his own thing and get, I guess, more to what would be called the more orthodox Islam, but was still, you know, very pro-black power and getting things together with the OAAU and things like that. So it's it's pretty cool, and I thought that was kind of awesome that folks were able to go through something randomly and find uh, this particular recording. And it's one of those early views into when he was um, getting into his different types of views. And, um, excuse me, all of that type of stuff. And they said at this event, beside the students, there were over 200 Nation of Islam members rolled up to that event. Oh, wow. And um, whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they just um, break down a lot of the... Um, different um things that he was um, talking about and breaking down because it was literally right in that in-between period so um one of the things they have him saying here is that he had to joke about where black people were found talking about they don't have a history of their own so they let you tell you what their history is and that in essence that you found them in the jungle somewhere for spear chasing white people in a cannibalistic way to try to give the impression that white meat is the only good meat to eat pretty much being sarcastic about, you know, how folks were trying to portray how black people were back in the day and all that type of stuff. And him breaking down, you know, various things about, you know, the Nation of Islam and the dialogue as a whole back and forth between, you know, should it be a separation of races for people to get along or should everybody work together and stuff like that. But yeah, it's pretty cool. So, you know, shout out to those folks who found out that particular bit of information. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, I think when he was in the nation, I think when he was in the nation, he probably was at his best. But even when he was without the nation, he was good. So I think that'll be something definitely to check out. No doubt, no doubt. And me just being a history teacher, just like, wow, somebody just found that randomly. And it came through, or at least what seems like that. Um, you know, pretty hot biz, pretty hot info. Oh, and lastly, this was a week where a lot of people's birthdays and um, passings away were commemorated, especially in the realm of hip hop. So, shouts out to um, James Yancey, also known as Jay Dilla, um, prolific um, producer. And MC from the Detroit area. Shout out to our Midwest peoples on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Shout out to the folk Big Pun. And, you know, his fam and all of them. Um, Big Punisher, representing the NYC area, all my Puerto Rican folks. And Boricuas. And um, 
all of that good stuff. And also, you know, the folks who are fans of Mr. Bob Marley, um, reggae legend on certain levels in Jamaica, political legend. And a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, there are, for all three, there's some really, really good documentaries the BBC's done that you can check out on YouTube, like extended length documentaries, tele- televised and them via the radio system. So if you don't necessarily have a complete familiarity with these folks, even though you might have heard a track or two or, you know, maybe the basics that are always broken down when these times occur, um, check those joints out. I think they're really, really high quality and are worth, you know, that 30 minutes to an hour. That head can see what is going on and whatnot. And I'm just doing the last minute scroll here because I think we're going to be just about done. Oh, one more quick story. I'm thinking it's kind of cool. Shout out to the man, Nile Rogers. If y'all aren't familiar with him in the music scene, he was the head of Cheap. Has produced and written numerous soul and funk music tracks for various people and pop tracks. And the French electropop group Daft Punk um, who recently did the soundtrack for the Tron Legacy movie? Um, they are actually supposed to be working with Nile Rodgers on their next album. And as somebody who likes, you know, the Electro House that Daft Punk does, I mean, Nile Rodgers is Nile Rodgers. Well, no. You know, I think that I think they were very wise to um, to to reach to. Late 70s, early 80s um, composers. I think that was very wise. And I will also say, now Rogers used to be um, a part of the Black Panther Party in New Jersey, and he's from Jersey. So he's eyes with me. Uh, I can dig that. His document, his, uh, not his documentary, uh, his autobiography. I've just started reading um, his autobiography that just came out late last year, and that's an awesome piece of work too. And I know he just recently um, got off of fighting cancer. So, you know, he's now Rogers is still active and kicking and doing his thing. And um, I hope this project does come out. I'm definitely curious. I'm definitely curious to see how that goes. I know, if, you know, just for the sake of him being down, like I like both crews already in the dance music that they do. That could be a jamming album. Man. So Big ups to all of those folks. And yeah, man, that's about it. Let's get right into the scene with the syndicated Fusebox radio broadcast of DJ Fusion and John Judah, 21st century black radio for the masses. No payola, all quality control. We go through everything that we put on and listen to to bring the good sound vibes and all that stuff to you. And yep, we're going to get into this music mix and our interview with... The director of the upcoming HBO documentary film, The Loving Story, and special guest, and um, all the other good stuff that we do. So we love all of our audience. We deeply appreciate any way that y'all listen to us. We deeply, deeply, deeply are grateful. Much love to all the music artists who submit music to us and all the great music artists in the past who have built us up to this point with their creativity and music influence. That is also deeply appreciated. And on a last note, you can always check out the syndicated Fusebox radio broadcast. If you miss it through one of our syndicated broadcast partners, 
via podcast. So you can go to iTunes, Zoom, Flycast FM, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and other music RSS feeders to download the show on demand and enjoy it through your MP3 player, computer, and whatever else with two years of music archives, including this recent show that you'll be able to check out. All right. So it's about that time. Fusebox Radio Broadcast, DJ Fusion, John hey. Judah. And we're going to get into the mix. All right. Peace. Hey.
Straight up black, then my bleach should never fade me. They say he crazy, New York raised him in the 80s. Killer catch administration, gangster renovation, born of isolation. Asian ill communication, Asian Marble fiber acting, pestilential microscopic soul, sonic remedy. Clinic right in the street, operator in the dark, surgery a wounded heart. Come together, pill apart, pill apart, come together. Smoking on something good, praying for something better. From out of better, never rocking for forever, ever, 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 forever, ever, ever. It's still a secret, even when you tell them dumb dummies. Hush money, rent receipt, drug money, dick cold. Blood and warm gun money. The chief rock up, you'll inject the Zulu horse, pop a dog, boogie, baby, 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 baby,
flyer than ever, fresher than ever, nicer than ever. The fly nigga. You're now listening to Fusebox Radio with DJ Fusebox. I'm fresh, man. I'm back like a sophomore. What up, junior? Money old like a senior. My demeanor, not at all a pipe dreamer. I see the game getting fuzzy like pipe cleaners. Where I'm from, money tight like a wife beater. It's kind of hard to stay clean like a white sneaker. West Michigan, white lies, white people. White drugs, black people, not quite equal. I'm no freedom fighter. Food for thought, organic, gotta feed them lighter. Food I bought from the store seem more expensive. Programs on the television more explicit. See what the seed's seeing. CNN trying to censor the reason being. We see the truth, we might flee, become Freeman. Just a human being with limited abilities that I'm trying to be in. Something European, sunroof amenities. Just a dream for most people can to me. A fantasy for the people from where I'm from. From. Unless Floyd came to town and rode around and won I weathered a storm like money may see money may Come and go, but peace of mind's a mainstay But on the low, when the money go, poof, gone Watch, you don't see niggas when they got it When they broke, hit your phone Yeah, I'm looking forward to the future The old niggas locked up, the young niggas shoot ya He don't understand till he crying on the stand Said the win from a boy, then became a man Skipped all the letters in between A to Z Trying to go from a boy, straight to a G Damn, it's fucked up where they got us Even worse where we keeping ourselves But let me talk about my chain before I lose y'all My big gun so I can keep niggas listening Or say bitch, they keep y'all attention it's crazy, it's so Hey, this is DJ Logic. You're now listening to the Fuse Box, bringing the best of hip hop and soul music, news and commentary from all over.
now listening to Fusebox Radio with DJ Fuse. Feet up off the ground. Ah, ah, ah. 
Listening to Fusebox Radio with DJ Fusion. Mm-hmm. 
after me you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know that's you and me and everything along you and me and everyone we know you and me and everyone we know Stay search 
You're now listening to Fusebox Radio with DJ Fusion. Since its nominal independence from Britain in the 1960s, the West African nation of Nigeria has been the scene of a vast, murderous, and ecocidal wave of corporate crime. The leading culprits are the continuing corporate criminal conspiracies of big oil, including Shell, Texaco, Mobile, Conoco, BP, Total, and others, aided by a succession of compliant military and civilian governments, armies, and police forces. The job of capitalist corporations, of course, is to maximize profits by externalizing or shedding their costs onto other entities, and big oil has been massively successful in Nigeria. With most of Nigeria's oil concentrated in the Niger Delta and offshore, Big Oil has extracted conservatively at least 600 billion and more likely trillions in profits. Big Oil's costs are borne by the people, the lands, and the waters of Nigeria's oil producing regions, which they have transformed into an impoverished and toxic wasteland where fishermen cannot fish, where farmers cannot farm, where the very rain and air are poisonous and the water undrinkable, where hospitals, electricity, and schools are mostly unavailable. The oil-producing regions are crisscrossed by a network of high-temperature, high-pressure, ill-maintained, and chronically leaking pipes, which annually spill an amount comparable to what BP's Deepwater Horizon did in the Gulf of Mexico. Nigerians have paid this price every year for more than a generation. But unlike the Deepwater Horizon disaster, homicide and ecocide committed by big oil in West Africa get little notice in the world's media. A December Shell BP oil spill that the criminals claim was only 40,000 barrels was virtually ignored outside West Africa. A separate offshore gas fire, still going on, which initially killed two workers when an oil rig exploded, has turned a region of open water into a lake of fire up to 1400 degrees Fahrenheit that continues to burn well into its second month. While Chevron oil officials claim it will be another month before efforts to put out the fire are successful, even more nearby communities are finding their water undrinkable, their air unbreathable, and local clinics thronged with environmentally induced diseases and disorders. The profits of big oil in West Africa, which now supplies nearly a fifth of U.S. oil imports, have and continue to poison millions of Africans. It has turned their crops, their waters, their environment, and even their children into sacrifices on the altar of corporate profit. And this horrendous price is only to bring the oil out of the ground and onto the world market, not the cost of burning it and adding its carbon to the atmosphere, which costs are paid by someone else other than big oil. The long-term survival of West Africa and of humanity will only be assured when we stop paying the homicidal and ecocidal costs of big oil. We believe that day is coming. For Black Agenda Radio, I'm Bruce Dixon. Find us on the web at www.blackagendareport.com. You are now listening to Fusebox Radio.
in stages for show. More pages to go, but if you read between them lines, leaving bad times behind. Back sipping that wine, and I finally made you mine. I take you out to my mama house and wipe you out in due time. Don't that sound elegant to your brain cells? Left hand, now tell me how that ring feels. I'm still your main, gon' stay the same, can't change. Let me be the one that's my campaign, champagne. Pop that, hit that, get that, got that, stop that. Only wanna give you love and smile. No more pain. I wanna love you, baby. You are tuned into DPE Radio, where we play nothing but the music and the tones that illuminate your mind, your body, and your soul. So sit back and relax and get illuminated. Ha 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 ha. This is a memoir. Dedicate the song to you. Dedicate the song. Dedicate the song to you. Give thanks for the memories that make me think of you. Make me think. Make me think of you. This is a memoir. I dedicate the song to you. Dedicate the song. Dedicate the song this to you. This memoir for my heart. On your lawn, this one here's for you. I know you smile in heaven and twins made it through. I pray to God and I know you heard me too. You the angel watching over my dreams, they coming true. I remember the times in Lincoln Park when you let me ride my bike up on me in at the dark. Hayes and Levita were like my aunts too. I was everybody's nephew that hung with the crew. You sponsored my dates with keys to the car. White Geo Metro, I was feeling like a star. It hurt my heart when they told me you was messing I was standing in the kitchen, I barely wanted to listen Sometimes I can't believe that you're gone You were my number one fan, I couldn't do any wrong You molded my mind in so many ways You the reason why I grind and go hard every day This is a memoir I dedicate the song to you Dedicate the song, dedicate the song to you Thanks for the memories that make me think of you For all it's worth I dedicate my first To the one who gave birth to me You push for me C-section to be exact So you pull for me Only 18 Vision of a little boy Knew it was hard You put your faith in God When pops went left Never talked bad about him I look like him Grandma help and my physical and spiritual growth. Scared to be your father, you gave me support. Graduated from college, you showed me support. I love that. I had for you, I cherish the most. No matter if we went to broke, we still cracking jokes. The day I got married, you was there for the toast. Cheers. I love you, mama. Here, thanks. This is a memoir. I dedicate the song to you. Thanks for the memories 
Stretch my loops so, so I, I never, never fell strapped. But Neverland, she taught me to achieve excellence. But never get too high up on yourself like you are better than. Better still, taught me my beauties and my skills. skills. Being a cutie with booty ain't gon' pay these bills. Deal. Giving thanks for your will, deal. represent cause you the deal. deal. I'm the woman that I am cause by example you instill. This is a memoir, a song to you. This is a memoir. Dedicate the song to you. Give thanks for the memory. All right, everybody, one, two, one, two, what's going on? You're now in tune to another session of the syndicated worldwide Fusebox radio broadcast with DJ Fusion. 
and John Judas since 1998, bringing you our slice of what we call um, 21st Century Black Radio, a mixture of old and new school music from the black diaspora, as well as news commentary and interviews. And this week, we have a very, very special interview um, that's going to be happening and ties right into a lot of our Black History Month 2012 celebration here on the radio show. I'm sure a lot of our people have seen the preview commercials and the website and things for the upcoming HBO documentary film, The Loving Story. And on the phone lines right now to give us a little bit of background on this documentary and the very um, interesting story behind it is director Nasky Bursky. Hi. And Miss Peggy Loving. And hello to the both of you ladies. I hope your morning's going well so far. It is. Yeah. All right. And again, thank you both for taking out your time um, with um, this story. And I guess for me um, personally, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And I had a brief familiarity with um, the story of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Richard and Mildred Loving from some Washington Post um, articles and other various things. But I really didn't know the story fully in depth until I was able to look at this um, wonderful documentary. And <clears throat> I guess the first question I have is, um, I guess um, first off from Ms. Bursky, what inspired you to um, do a documentary on the story of the Lovings? I read an obituary of Mildred Loving in May of 2008. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by the fact that I knew so little about her and her husband. Um, I had heard of the case, Loving v. Virginia, but I knew nothing about the people at the heart of the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it just struck me as a very important uh, civil rights story, but more importantly, a dramatic love story. So it just it seemed perfect for a documentary. Okay, okay. And um, Miss Loving, as um, one of the children of the Lovings and going literally through that entire um, experience from what happened in Virginia with the court case to having to move from Virginia to D.C. and just seeing how life went on afterwards. What was it like for you to live through all of that, especially during what we all now talk about or say the turbulent time of the 1960s and the civil rights movement as a whole? Well, it was a very simple life to me because I was so young um, when they were actually going through the court case. Um, my mom, well, my parents, they kept it to themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they talked about it when they lay down at night, but we lived, uh, um, we lived the life of a family, not all the media and, and all of that. Um, so um, we lived our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they wanted for us to That's definitely understandable. Um, it was one of the things, I guess, um, when you were young, you never really, I, I guess I should say, you never really like had that feeling when things were going on that people were talking about stuff or anything else, whether it was not, like your parents or maybe people outside of the community? <coughs> if they did, I didn't know anything about it because, you know, back then, she was the kids, and we were in going up business. So um, mm. I know they had friends that helped them um, you know, with their telephone calls and, and, and all. But, um, again, that was adult business, so um, we were outside playing and, and doing so. Okay, okay. 
Um, let's see here. Like watching this documentary, and I will watch the advance a few times. There's so much that's happening within the literal hour of this um great presentation, and there were a few points I um wanted to bring up and just kind of get um the both of y'all's um opinions on and everything with this. Um, first and um foremost, the time frame and the town this um story takes place in. It's kind of fascinating in this way where it's like a lot of people live together and, you know, seem like they got along and did what they had to do. But when it came to certain things, it was just a very strict line of this is where you're not supposed to cross. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it was a community where a lot of people lived and loved and worked together and, um, you know, they all helped each other in the fields and, and they really depended on each other to, to for their livelihood. Um, and yet, they couldn't go and eat in the same restaurants or go to the same schools or, or go to the same theaters, even though, you know, we were in 1958 and um, most of... Well, for instance, Brown versus Board of Education had already been passed, but Virginia didn't necessarily go along with those things. So um, the town itself was very tolerant and, and very welcoming of all sorts of races um, living together and working together, but there were definitely some rules about how far that could go. Yep, and just even at the very beginning of the documentary, just the, the dramatic description about what happened in terms of the police bursting into the Loving's home and all the crazy stuff that was said and happened in jail is just very mind-blowing. And one of the things that struck my attention was that um, there's a segment in there where Mr. Loving talks about, yeah, there were other couples that were, you know, interracially marrying, but... There was a. There seemed to be kind of a weird thing about why they picked on the Lovings. You know, I think it's still a mystery, and maybe Peggy can talk about this too. But there's no question that the sheriff seemed to have it out for them. Um, you know, he came to their house in the middle of the night with dogs and deputies and knocked mm -hmm. down their door, and um, you know, as if they were going to resist in some way, which I doubt very much they would have. So um, he really seemed to have it out for them in some way, and to this day, I don't think people really understand what motivated that, but it was pretty tough. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know because, I mean, I'm sure we were in school, but um, they, the sheriff said that they came down there several times during the day, so I don't understand why my mom wasn't home, but I mean, you know, she could have been out taking care of business. Mm. They came in the wee hours of the night, so I guess they knew then everybody would be at home sleep, so. Yeah, that's just one of those things that just maybe just scratched my head a little bit, but I guess that's one of those mysteries that, you know, at least as of now, we may just never know why it occurred in that particular way. Um, now, another thing that also struck my interest was that Miss um, Loving actually wrote um, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy about their situation after the Virginia courts gave the suspended sentence and everything and essentially kicked the Lovings out of the state of Virginia and a situation that made me think kind of hard was the fact that while everyone was going through the new civil rights laws at the time or trying to draft them there was nothing that addressed um, interracial marriage or pardon I always pronounce this word wrong um mis miscegenation 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 yeah it's a hard one um, yeah, that, this was not a um, statute that was going to affect as many people as voting rights, for instance, or public mm -hmm. accommodations. 
so um, they weren't pushing it quite as hard as they were these other initiatives that really were going to affect a larger part of the population. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the reason that it stayed under the radar. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I thought was kind of cool was that he actually did that recommendation to contact the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. Yeah, you know, Mildred was really miserable living in D.C., and in fact, there were many times that she and Richard would sneak back into Virginia um, in spite of the um, ban against them living there. Uh, and then in 1963, um, her, her son Donald was hit by a car. And I think that was, as we say in the film, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I should say, as she says in the film, uh, because that's her voice, um, Mm -hmm. talking about how unhappy she was. And she had reached a point where she just couldn't bear it anymore. So her cousin had suggested she write to Robert F. Kennedy. And Robert F. Kennedy said he couldn't do anything for her, but suggested she write to the ACLU. And she was very determined. She wrote both of those letters. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought that was great because sometimes we think when you write to a government official, you'll never get a response back or it might get lost in the sauce. But something apparently made that connection occur. Yeah, I mean, he was a very empathetic man and um, he obviously did feel there was something wrong with this picture. And so he was, I'm impressed too that he wrote back to them. And I think that's one of the cases that really defined the um, ACLU, from my personal opinion, on a legal front. So just very interesting seeing how all that bits of history tie in. And also one of the things that was cool, too, was that both of the lawyers involved were actually very, very fresh out of law school when they got the um, case in their lap to handle from the Virginia um, State Courts to the Supreme Court. Bill, Bill was only two years out of law school, so he could not even speak in the Supreme Court without a special special kind of permission. And Bernie was out of school just three years, so they were very young, and, and this had to be one of the great and most exciting things that would ever happen to them in their lives. I still think they look back on it, and they can't quite believe that not only did they argue it in front of the Supreme Court, um, but their argument caused the court to overturn these statutes unanimously. Indeed, and that just made, well, I think it made a lot of things good for a lot of people. And one of the, at the very end where there's an end credits, one of the things that really struck me was that the state of Alabama didn't strike those laws until 2000. Yeah, we shouldn't be taking this so much for granted. There are still a lot of people that um, are not sure how they feel about interracial marriage. And even when they did take the ban off their books, which was basically a symbolic one, they could not have enforced it. But even when they did remove it from their books, there was um, a large part of the the population um, that voted to keep it on the books. So um, I'm hoping, and my, my partner on this film, Elizabeth James, as well, hope that this is a film that will um, resonate with a lot of people and they will understand how wrong it is to put boundaries on love. Indeed, and um, as a love story, this is a beautiful story. Because um, as it did state in the documentary, one person straight up said that, hey, you know, you know, Richard is at, you know, the top of what we have in our current societal chain. He could just run away from this, but he didn't. And throughout the entire documentary, which I thought was just a wonderful part of the, the literal love story of the lovings, where that he just said, like, look, I love my wife. I'm not going anywhere. And I think we have the right to live as any other type of couple lives. I, I think Richard is a, a real hero. 
uh, in the story. Um, there were, I'm sure, other people in this situation where the couple would decide just to get divorced in order not to um, go through what the lovings went through, but he he stood on principle and he felt very strongly about his rights to love the woman he loved and marry the woman he wanted to marry and he loved Mildred desperately and so he stood up for himself and he stood up for the family i think he really is a, a very noble man indeed and um both of them went through a lot and um made a great um sacrifice for a lot of um other people and i think that's wonderful um one big bit of curiosity is that this documentary doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily stereotypical. It features a lot of talking heads, as it were. You have a lot of first-person testimony from both of Mr. and Mrs. Loving, as well as pictures and film and all other type of stuff. May I ask, how did you get your hands on all of that material? Uh, obviously, we were blessed. Um, it's a filmmaker's dream to be able to get the footage that we had and the photographs that were shot by Gray Vallette. Um, the footage was shot by Hope Ryden, and uh, my partner on the film, Elizabeth James, and myself worked hard to interweave all of that into the story that we wanted to tell. Um, and, and made a decision fairly early on that if we could tell the story using just the footage and using just the voices of the subjects and witnesses and friends, mm -hmm. it would be much more powerful than having a narrator come on stage and um, lead one through the story and tell one how to feel. And so I think that, you know, as a result, you feel very close to these people and you feel empathetic to them because you're really hearing them tell their own story. Indeed, indeed. And it does feel like somebody that sits down personally and tells you everything that happened. I think that's going to be the big, powerful impact of the story of The Lovings. And I definitely hope through this HBO screening and I hope other screenings in the future and the inevitable distribution of this documentary in the DVD or digital form that people can really get a grasp on the civil rights movement and which is going on through this day since we're nowhere near a post-racial time <clears throat> excuse me you know what's something that affected people is not abstract facts and i think a wonderful thing that occurred through this story was this wasn't you know just that abstract fact that you read where yes it's important but you don't necessarily get a grasp of what happened um the story of richard and mildred loving is um very important and the way that it was um broken down i deeply appreciate um to both of y'all for opening out the story to the public. Well, we're, we're thrilled that we were able to do it, and I'm particularly um, thrilled that Peggy was so involved in the making of the film, and um, she, you know, she wanted from the very beginning to um, make sure the legacy of her parents was told accurately, and um, you know, without her, I'm not sure we would have been able to do that. So I'm, I'm really happy, and I know Elizabeth and I are both thrilled to have been working with her. Indeed, indeed, and we definitely got to thank um, Miss Peggy Loving for that because this is an utterly amazing piece of work. Now, for the both of um, you, and I would definitely like to have um, this question answered if possible. Um, in the current time that we are, we're in, we're still a far away from being a society that doesn't necessarily base things on race, even though we've have made progress um, through the Loving story. What is the lesson? that you think people should most um, grasp onto and think about after they finish watching this movie? Um, I think that um, 
I think that, you know, um, you should love everyone, everybody. Um, and to, um, to help people when you're able to. Mm. And, and to stand up for what you think is right. Indeed. I think that's a perfect summation right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, both of them, they, they, they wanted to be married. They wanted to be at home with family and friends. And um, even though my mom might have did most of the work, but my dad was behind her. So he was kind of like her backbone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said whatever she wanted to do, he, he was there to help her, you know, get it. Okay. And I think that's a perfect summation of um the entire story. Um for all of our listeners, definitely go as um soon as you can and check out this documentary. You can either see it during its um worldwide premiere on HBO on what we know as a day of love, Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, twenty twelve. And you can also go ahead and go to the official website for The Loving Story to get a lot more information about the story of Richard and Mildred Loving over at lovingfilm.com. And there you get a whole lot of information about the film, everybody behind the scenes, um, more new screenings and review information, and um, other good stuff. Definitely support this great piece of work. And... Um, I've been telling people about this documentary like crazy. I'm looking forward to having more and more people see it. And I definitely thank both Miss Loving and Miss Bursky for your time and doing this interview with our radio show and our listening audience. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. No problem. And thank the both of you again. And before we get back into the music, um, we got to let you know this is the syndicated Fusebox radio broadcast with DJ Fusion and John Judah. We just had a great interview about the upcoming HBO documentary film, The Loving Story. You can get more information about the film over at lovingfilm.com. And through our show notes via our podcast, you'll be able to have the link to that site and the previews and other good things. So we're about to get into things right now. This is the Fusebox Radio Broadcast, 21st Century Black Radio with DJ Fusion and John Judah.
Well, if it were to rain now, would we get a cleansing? No. America is strange. We keep pretending that it's not winter. We aren't sinners. There's no ending. We don't make a mess and we're merely just defending. Let's get to mending the peace sign. Vanish in our dreams. So it seems then how are we ascending? We must crack the concrete and get organic with the soil. Turn to oil into graciousness. Compost is waste. Just get real with ourselves. Money won't do it. We got to deal with ourselves. Try and help a friend, save your soul, go within, show for them an opening, crawling, it's all and we're all uno, I ain't kicking nothing you don't you know, it's weighing on my mind, something heavy like a sumo, I'm ready and I'm able to turn tables, let's begin to radiate light from our center, now it's a winter, and we're all from Welcome to Media Minutes. I'm Stevie Converse. And I'm Candace Clement. And I'm Megan Tamey. Do you remember when TV broadcasters switched from analog to digital programming? The shift was supposed to give us a windfall of super Wi-Fi from airwaves TV broadcasters no longer need. Wi-Fi comes to us courtesy of unlicensed spectrum, the part of our airwaves not designated for licensed wireless use like radio, TV, and mobile phones. Michael Weinberg is a staff attorney for public knowledge. Everything that happens on Wi-Fi right now happens on spectrum that is not very good at transmitting information. TV spectrum is really good at transmitting information, so you can get spectrum that can transmit a lot more information a lot farther. In other words, with Wi-Fi transmitted over TV spectrum, known as white spaces, you would no longer have to worry about being two walls apart from your router when using your laptop. The plan was for the Federal Communications Commission to keep part of the white spaces for unlicensed use and auction off the rest. But political wrangling is holding this spectrum hostage. The House tacked on three amendments to its must-pass payroll tax bill, amendments that spell big trouble for the FCC and spectrum use. This bill doesn't protect that super Wi-Fi. When they talk about the spectrum that they're going to try and auction off, they don't say, but you must reserve a certain percentage for super Wi-Fi. Without doing that, we're concerned that the FCC won't preserve the super Wi-Fi unlicensed band. The Senate version of the bill doesn't include anything about spectrum. The House and Senate are now trying to hash out their differences. The House version includes a lot of other random spectrum stuff that's pretty much all bad. One of the conditions says, FCC, when you auction off this spectrum, you cannot impose any net neutrality protections at all. The FCC can't do anything to make sure that the person who wins that spectrum auction doesn't abuse their position and really control what Internet users use. Another provision calls for spectrum going only to the highest bidder instead of creating conditions for more competition and lower prices. Weinberg is part of a group of consumer and media advocates who are trying to kill the spectrum amendments. If this goes wrong, it's not necessarily that what is happening right now changes for the worse. It's that the good things that could happen in the future do not happen. For more information, go to publicknowledge.org. 
Whip out your smartphone at a rally in Chicago to record a heated conversation between a police officer and a protester, and you could be sent to prison for 15 years. The Illinois Eavesdropping Act prohibits recording a conversation without consent, lobbying the steepest penalties at people who make audio recordings of law enforcement. Here's Adam Schwartz, senior lawyer with the Illinois chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. Illinois, in fact, has one of the most restrictive laws in the country in terms of stopping people from making audio recordings of on-duty police officers in public places. But a new bill could change this, allowing people to record on-duty cops in public without permission. Schwartz said the new bill would simply restore rights already granted under the First Amendment. In fact, the ACLU of Illinois challenged the current law as unconstitutional and filed a lawsuit in 2010 that was dismissed. The ACLU appealed the case, which is pending. Schwartz said the new bill would also increase police accountability. Sometimes there's a swearing contest about whether the officer used a racial epithet, or there's a swearing contest about whether or not the um, civilian said one thing or another that led to the officer to use force against the civilian. Or there'll be a dispute about whether or not the officer refused to give their badge number or made a threatening remark. These disputes will be far more easily resolved if civilians are allowed to document their encounters with police. And we believe that the First Amendment protects the right of civilians to gather such information. Illinois is gearing up to host this spring's NATO and G8 summits, which are likely to generate public protests and interactions with police. Many people may unknowingly violate the current law if they attempt to record police, and Schwartz says the rule has strong repercussions for journalists. It would be a crime for anyone, whether they are a professional journalist or an independent blogger, or just a member of the protest to pull out their phone or some other device and to record this discussion between the police officers and the civilians about whether or not they're marching where they're supposed to be marching. So this is a major restraint on freedom of speech and freedom of the press here in Illinois. In good news for proponents of the new bill, the existing eavesdropping law is facing another legal challenge. Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan has asked the state Supreme Court to address whether the law is constitutional. For more information, visit aclu-il.org. You've been listening to Media Minutes, a production of Free Press, a national nonpartisan organization working to reform the media. For more information, visit freepress.net. You are now listening to Fusebox Radio. What if you could eat a rat? What if you could feed a track or be a top chef, but you ain't need a hat? That's a scenario I'm about to present. Give me a minute and I promise I'm going to start to make sense. Would you agree that every time you hear a song, you consuming it? Got an appetite? What's the quickest way to ruin it? Consume a bunch of junk, body is conditioned. You fool, but you ain't had a single ounce of nutrition. Eating a milk can easily compare to turning your radio up to get an airful. Be careful. You got to make sure that your body got its nourishment. Got to be keen to what your music is encouraging. And while you checking on the message, in your beats, be careful of the essence of your meats. Now, would you eat a Amadou Diallo burger, Sean Bell sub? No animals is murdered in that same cold blood. Real talk. Dude, we need food. Food, food. Need, 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 food, food, food. Need, need, food, food. 
Now some of y'all might be a little bit reluctant to listen to my theory and admit I'm on to something. Maybe you think your diet is a major change to go through. And you ain't beef for hippie foods like bean sprouts and tofu. If you think that modern music is the way it is and people need to do a better job of trying to raise their kids. Hmm. Think about it for a second. How come the major labels mostly putting out the rappers disrespected? How come unhealthy foods are usually the cheapest and way up in the front of the store? I know you peeped this. You think a diet in but nothing stops. More than ever, fellas got the bubble bellies, women got the muffin tops. And I'm not making fun, I'm simply trying to make a statement. They banking on the fact that we gon' stay complacent. Food and music filled with harmful preservatives. We eat it up like we don't feel we deserve to live. Where do we go from here? What's the resolution? Why can't we have consumption without having executions? Whether you're talking about animals or people, when you consume and murder, then you manifest as evil. It's all about mental conditioning. Most of what we think we really need to lead to some kind of imprisonment. We want it now, and it had better be awesome, and we don't really care how it affects us in the long run. Like getting married on a blind date, a fast food society with a microwave mind state. They'll feed us anything they think will fit the need. They're trying to get our sons to feed our daughters chicken feed. And they got a pecking order. The ones without no mom and no dad is who they beckon in the slaughter. So watch what you consume in the mood. It broke, cause no matter what, it's all food for thought. Dude, we need food. We, 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 we need, we, we, we need food. More food. Let's do this. What's up, everybody? It's your boy right here, Lamar Blackman, and this is Direct Effects, the jump off. Your hottest daily dose of entertainment and college news brought to you by the Black University Radio Network. And on today's show, we wrap up with the WBF USA Intercontinental Champ, Cleotis Mookie Pendarvis, who is coming off a victory last Friday against Jose Alfredo Lugo in Woodland Hills, California. He speaks to some of his youngsters who came from challenging circumstances such as him as to how to come through adversity and we'll explore the phenomena dying to eat and eating to death I'll break that down and the late king of pop Michael Jackson's sister Latoya will guest star on the new season of the CW's 90210 and I'll tell you when that season begins all right here next don't you move on direct effects okay I'll listen they're just three little words but sometimes they can be very tough to say especially when your son or daughter wants to talk to you about joining the U.S. Army. Okay, I'll listen. They're just three little words, but if you find the strength to say them to your son or daughter, you'll hear the opportunity to create a future that's stronger than you ever imagined, a future full of advanced training in over 150 careers, along with the discipline and leadership skills they need to succeed in any situation. Add tuition assistance and up to $40,000 in enlistment bonuses, and soon you'll realize the U.S. Army is a viable option. Okay, I'll listen. They're just three little words. But if you say them to your son or daughter when they want to talk about joining the U.S. Army, you'll hear the thought put into their decision. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You made them strong. We'll make them Army strong. Paid for by the U.S. Army. We wrap up with the champ, Cleotis Mookie Pendarvis. He's coming off the most recent victory over contender Jose Alfredo Lugo Friday night in Woodland Hills to defend his WBF USA Intercontinental Welterweight Championship. Now here's the champ who's from the mean streets of South Central Los Angeles speaking to all the young underprivileged youth facing the same challenges he came through. 
first things first, always keep God first and keep keep honest and pure faith in your heart with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's hard out here in these streets and things of that nature to get caught up in your peers and stuff and um, be part of statistics and stuff of that nature, but just stand strong, always work hard and, and keep your faith in God because you have faith and you always have faith in yourself because He's the Creator. To find out any more information, you can reach me at my Facebook, Cleotis Mookie Pendarvis. Also there, you will find two of my, my last two fights. Any additional information, of Cleotis Pendarvis, Pitbull Energy Drink, Herb Huffman, Manager Warren Wilkinson, you know, the whole team. You know, we, we are there. All the information is there. And also, you know, Blackhawks Radio. Thanks for your time, champ, and much continued success. Remember to see Mookie Pendarvis fights and promo photos. Visit Facebook.com's fan page, front slash Cleotis Mookie Pendarvis. The CW's 90210 has a little something in store for the new season, set to begin airing January 17th. The Hollywood Reporter has learned that Latoya Jackson has been added to the cast. She will play a high-powered music executive who has a knack for picking talent and knowing what sells. According to critics, the character's brilliance and talent is paired with a cutthroat business strategy. And she's got her eyes on something more. Now, Jackson's appearance on 90210 will mark her second time on a CW series. She appeared on the fourth season of Celebrity Apprentice, becoming the first contestant to ever be fired and rehired again. 90210 returns January 17th at 8 p.m. on The CW. For more entertainment news, you can always visit EURweb.com. We have all seen the commercials showing the starving children in other countries. In some countries, there are people who simply cannot get enough to eat. Then there is the United States. There are people who are dying because they get too much to eat. In the past decade, the population of obese people in America has doubled. It's the nation's number one cause of preventable death, and it's now a health crisis. Where are commercials showing the overweight Americans who are dying? In this country, while throngs of people are falling ill, most specifically from type 2 diabetes and hypertension, both preventable, the perception is some portray being overweight as healthy. Three out of every five adults are obese, which is defined as a body mass index of 30% body fat or higher. The simple truth is every year, 400,000 people die from poor nutrition and lack of exercise. Ask yourself, how many obese elderly people do you see walking around? Good health and nutrition is a lifestyle. Follow it. Got kids? Then ClubSocietyHills.biz is the website for you. It's the 411 for kids, entertainment news, current events, and parenting tips. Visit ClubSocietyHills.biz. That's ClubSocietyHills.biz. Membership is free. ClubSocietyHills.biz. Join today. When urban entertainment news breaks, it's already waiting for you online at EURweb.com. That's www.EURweb.com. EURweb.com. And that's going to do it for this edition of Direct Effects, y'all. It's a wrap. Check us out on Twitter. That's Twitter.com, front slash Black College Radio. And until the next time, it's your boy right here, Lamar Blackman. And I'm going. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now witnessing Fusebox Radio.
come knocking at my door. Sealed Revelation 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 is humanity's appeal to the unknown Energy field Check it out I'm flying free I'm flying free so that I can see The mountain The mountain The mountain that I left I hope I'm not disturbing the peace. I can't contain this lyrical beast. Outside of society's cage, I fill papers with words. Page after page after page after page after page. I love my words and they express how I feel. They'll fill you up like your mama's best meal. And I realize reality. And my ability is to flip respectability. Right here on the Fuse Box Radio. 
And she slammed the door in his trumpet face And now he stands outside And all the neighbors start to gossip and drool He cries, oh girl, you must be mad What happened to the sweet love you and me had? Against the door he leans and starts a scene And his tears fall and burn in garden green And so castles made of sand fall in the sea eventually A little Indian brave who before he was ten Played war games in the woods with his Indian friends And he built a dream that when he grew up He would be a fearless warrior Indian chief Many moons passed and more the dream grew stronger Till tomorrow he would sing his first war song And fight his first battle But something went wrong Surprise attack killed him in his sleep that night And so castles made of sand melts into the sea Cause she was crippled for life And she couldn't speak a sound And she wished and prayed She could stop living So she decided to die She drew a wheelchair to the edge of the shore And to her legs she smiled You won't hurt me no more But then a sight she never seen Made her jump and say Look a golden winged ship Is passing my way And it really didn't have to stop It just kept on going And so castles Made of sand Slips into the sea Eventually Yo, you're checking out Fusebox Radio with John Judah And this is yours truly, Big Guru, the icon
You are now listening to the Fuse Box with John Judah.
Radio. Listening to the fuse box with John Judah. Oh, 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 
Listening to the fuse box with John Judah.
Listening to the fuse box with John Judah.
You are now listening to the Fuse Box with John Judah.
You are now listening to Fusebox Radio. on the fuse box radio.
all the time we have tonight. Join us next time. Good night.